When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Certainly all the signs are very bad for the Republicans going into 2018. This is obviously a, a shot in the arm. And for President Trump, it was, a, it was a pretty big blow. Donald Trump, you don't stand for our values! So since Donald Trump won, Democrats have had bad election night after bad election night. Finally, Democrats have a good election. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man whose voter fraud commission has been officially sued more times than they've officially met, Donald Trump. My name's Jason DeLeon, and I'm not quite your host for today's show, but I am your setup guy, your opening act, or as I like to think about it, your hype man. So yesterday, a full 365 days after the election, Slate put together a wonderful live show at the New School Auditorium in New York City. The show was hosted by Slate's editor-in-chief, Julia Turner, and featured a ton of fellow Slatesters, which you've heard right here on Trumpcast. The mood in the room was noticeably different than a year ago. Heads were up, shoulders were back, eyes were clear, and as Julia noted... The election results yesterday give this evening a slightly different tenor, I think, than the one that we were anticipating when we planned the night. The evening consisted of five different conversations with five different hosts and guests, and on today's show, we'll hear one of those. It's our co-host Jamel Bowie chatting with the former Virginia Congressman Tom Periello. They'll get into the results from this past Tuesday, but if you'd like to hear the full show, follow us on Twitter at RealTrumpCast to get a heads up when it's available. That's at RealTrumpCast. And just one more bit of business before we jump into the live show. Did you know Slate launched its first Spanish-language podcast last week? It's called El Gabfest. Y si me puedes entender ahora, then this show is for you. I love it. As my mother tells me, I don't speak nearly enough Spanish in my daily life, so it's always nice to get that beautiful, beautiful language back in my head. El Gabfest goes up every Thursday and is hosted by the great, award-winning Leon Krause. So if you'd like to get the Latino perspective on all things Trump, DACA, The Wall, Puerto Rico, then subscribe to this show at slate.com slash El Gabfest. That's slate.com slash El Gabfest. All right, let's get to it. Here's The People versus Trump Year One with Jamel Bowie. Didn't expect these chairs to be... No, this is a little bit active. Exciting. Um, I'm Jamel Bowie, uh, Slate's chief political correspondent, and I'm here with Tom Periello. Uh, I'm not sure I need to introduce Tom, but uh, for the sake of the recording, I will. Uh, Tom uh, is a native of Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, Tom served uh, in the House of Representatives, served uh, the 5th District. Unfortunately, wasn't able to win re-election in 2010, but went on to do really important conflict resolution work in Central Africa, um, ran for governor this past year, and uh, after he wasn't able to win the nomination, went on to campaign real hard for Democrats in the state. Um, and so we... We are going to talk about that election, that race. Um, two, uh, two Virginians, uh, hashing it out. So let's get started. Tom, 
were you surprised? I mean, I know you've been working incredibly hard uh, these past few months, crisscrossing the state on behalf of not just, uh, uh, you know, incoming Governor Northam, but House of Delegates candidates. But I have to imagine that the results kind of surpassed your expectations. Um, well, they're certainly at the outer limit of our expectations. We really were hopeful this year uh, for a number of reasons, and we felt like Virginia was going to be the test case of whether we can turn resistance energy into political power at the ballot box. Um, and last night we proved that, in fact, we can do that. Uh, last night wasn't just an election win. It was an inflection point. Uh, I think on this question about whether we are going to be able to look back 10 years from now and see Trump's election as the anomaly, uh, the last gasp of a dying uh, racist ideology, um, or the new normal. That's the the battle we're in right now. Uh, Northam, Herring, and Fairfax ran incredible statewide races. They deserve a huge amount of credit. Virginia's in great hands. But we also had all these candidates right. step up for the House of Delegates in areas that hadn't seen a Democrat run in 20 years, uh, in some cases that hadn't come within 20 points and won last night. We broke so many glass ceilings. Uh, the first Latina elected to the House of Delegates and the second Latina uh, elected to the House of Delegates. Hala uh, uh, Yala, Elizabeth Guzman, incredible stories all. Danica Rome, the first trans uh, legislator. Uh, Justin Fairfax, an amazing leader as lieutenant governor, only the second uh, African-American elected statewide in the history of Virginia. And this was just, I mean, it was, it was a convergence of a lot of things. Um, but I was really proud. Virginia, you know, was the birthplace of American democracy, but also the birthplace of American slavery. So we've always been both at the forefront of justice and liberty for all, uh, but also at the forefront of some of the worst, um, uh, of America's past. And in each generation, we just decide which one of those lead. And more than anything else, I think yesterday was an, inc- was a referendum on an inclusive Virginia right. and an inclusive Virginia won and won big yesterday. So what kind of lessons do you think that activists, Democrats, just people, interested people in other places can take from this? I mean, one thing um, that was striking to me about last night's results was just how black turnout um, was at what it was in 2016. Latino turnout was at what it was at 2016. And trying to crack that nut has been really uh, a really difficult question for Democrats around the country. So what 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 happened on the ground to sort of help produce these kind of results? It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't just energy. Yeah. So first I should caveat this by noting I haven't slept in a really long time. <laughs> uh, so look, I think in a in a broader sense, Donald Trump is to America what Prop 187 was to California. Uh, so for those who don't know, under Governor Wilson in California, they ran a, an immigrant bashing initiative back in the 90s, um, and it got them one big election win, but cost the Republicans the state for a generation. And the hope is that's what's happening with uh, Trump's uh, racially divisive politics, uh, along with his incompetence, um, is... Uh, <laughs> And I think you see how Virginia's changed from when uh, I was growing up. I'm a little older than you. Uh, you're Tidewater. I'm Central. But, you know, growing up, Virginia was 20% African-American, 80% white. Now it's 20% African-American, 60% white, 20% everyone else, the new Virginia majority. And I think what you're seeing is groups turn out and be politicized in state elections in a way they haven't been in the past. Democrats and progressives have been talking for 10 years about the idea that we need to take local and state more seriously, but we haven't backed that up with action. 
I think it was actually organic from the grassroots up. The number of candidates uh, this time uh, for House of Delegates who organized their local women's march and then in the process became a candidate uh, and ran incredible races. You know, we had over 50 challengers, over half of them were women, about a quarter millennials, candidates of color. So one lesson is Democrats need to contest every seat in every zip code. Um, And I think Tom Perez is really committed to that at the DNC. It helps to run diverse and dynamic candidates um, who helped. There was really a lot of organizing delegate uh, by delegate. And people stood for bold principles. Um, You know, you could have seen the old triangulation politics of, you know, sort of playing a little loose with uh, some of the racially divisive stuff. Uh, Northam took a strong stand on Confederate monuments, a strong stand on criminal justice reform, a strong position on uh, voter restoration uh, against the travel ban and other positions. So I think you're seeing a willingness to fight for strong progressive principles and do so uh, from the top of the ballot to the bottom. This, you know, this gets to something we've talked about before, and that is you really believe in confronting racism and bigotry head on, not sort of avoiding it, not trying to change a subject, but really confronting it head on. Um, and not, not looking back at this election, but, but looking forward, Virginia does still have to have this conversation about our past, um, about these monuments. And so what, you know, how do you think that should unfold? How do you think that in, in light of these results, Virginians of goodwill should think about, um, confronting this stuff head on? And obviously this has lessons for everyone. You know, uh, there's no easy solution, but um, I was really encouraged. Uh, my thought was that the Confederate monuments were going to be like gay marriage, something that actually worked for the Republicans for one or two election cycles, and then the arc of history moved and people looked back and saw it differently. Um, but Ed Gillespie went all in yeah. on uh, the race baiting in this campaign. I mean, he would have made Jesse Helms blush. It was incredible <laughs> to see. I was, you know, helping all these delegates. So I was traveling around the state you know, 24 seven, every single radio ad was either the fear of Latino gangs or the celebration of Confederate monuments. Um, and it was curious how that was going to play. Um, but I think while people's views on the monuments themselves are mixed, their sense of being wise enough to see that this was a cultural wedge issue because Gillespie didn't have an economic message came through. And I think that's one of the stories, the probably second week stories we'll see. Gillespie tried to run a traditional Republican economic messaging campaign for about six or eight weeks, and nobody was buying it. People said that's what we tried under George W. Bush, the big corporate tax cuts. All the things that Congress is trying to do right now was not only rejected by independent moderate voters, but even their own base wasn't buying it, which is part of why Gillespie then went all in on the uh, cultural division. So you know the Republicans really have become the identity politics party. It's really their only card left because nobody likes their corporate economic agenda. The Democrats, meanwhile, have become the party of inclusion, um, and you're seeing bolder economic moves like debt-free community college that was widely run on as well as Medicaid expansion this time. So, you know, I think we have to have these conversations. I think it's better, you know, I've proposed a South African-style truth commission for Virginia because I think when it's reactive to any individual situation, it's not as constructive as when we try to find a way to bring methodology to that. Um, But uh, I think the important thing is we know that if we thought we could just avoid these conversations, Charlottesville was certainly one of the indicators uh, on August 12th that that's not an option. So one thing about those Gillespie ads is that although they definitely alienated uh, Virginians in the north of the state and Tidewater and, and throughout, in the western parts of the state, they actually did seem to help Gillespie meet his margins. They did. They actually seemed to work. And I know that as part of your campaign for the Democratic nomination, you spent a lot of time out in western Virginia, um, especially hitting 
on environmental issues. And I'd be curious to know what what you think Democrats should do about that problem, about trying to reach out to voters who respond to things like, you know, football players are not going to, they're not going to kneel anymore, um, but also have these concerns about uh, environmental degradation, about economic inequality. How does, how does one square that circle? You know, I think the politics of a lot of Virginia and a lot of the country right now are not right versus left. They're bold versus boring. Um, I think that many people in the rural and small town parts of Virginia feel like they've been left behind because they have been. Uh, if you look at the economic recovery of the Clinton era, about 70% of new businesses were created in small and medium-sized towns. In this most recent economic recovery, it was 0% in small towns and only 17% in medium-sized towns. Uh, we have seen life expectancies drop in those areas. Three Virginians die every day of the opioid uh, epidemic. But the responses that I got the, the reason I was able to do well in those areas, even in a primary, uh, we stood strongly against monopolies uh, for relocalizing, um, you know, food, beverage, and energy production, standing against the pipelines and other things. So they were positions that the the chattering class sees as more left, but were actually much more popular with libertarians and conservatives in rural areas. Um, similar thing that shifted. You and I have talked about it. People want addiction to be treated as a public health crisis and not a criminal crisis. The conversation has changed dramatically in rural and small town Virginia. Um, the, their legislators hadn't caught up to that because they're still stuck in the 90s lock them up mindset. Now, is it a shame that that conversation's only changing now that it's hitting whiter communities? Yes. But are we going to not take this as a moment to bring people together to bring some common sense uh, criminal justice reform through? Absolutely, we should do that. And so I think the changing politics of Virginia don't fit neatly into right or left. We're actually 10 or 12 different political tribes that get thrown into a false binary of Democrats and Republicans. But um, we have to confront that we're not going to agree on every issue and we should there are certain things we just can't compromise on. I mean, one, one heartening thing I think I took away from last night was that Justin Fairfax actually did pretty well, all things considered, in that part of the state. And he did run very much on opposing the pipeline. Um, there's a really awful uh, uh, natural gas pipeline trying to be built through uh, rural communities in Virginia. Uh, it sucks. Um, but Fair, Fairfax ran... Uh, spoke quite a bit about that and it seemed to have helped his margins out there. So it, it does, it does feel, I mean, he didn't win, but it does win that region. But it does feel like there is a, a path there. Yeah. I think, you know, definitely uh, one, two of the things that I think are going to, going to become dominant topics in the economic, in the debate over the next 10 years are automation and monopoly. Um, if you actually look, uh, the biggest killer of coal jobs in America over the last generation uh, has been technology followed by natural gas. Of course, EPA and all the stuff they like to focus on is not there. And when I go out and spend time in Trump country and I say, look, you know, Trump was right. We lost 5.7 million manufacturing jobs. Can anyone tell me where 85% of those jobs went? Every hand goes up and says automation. This isn't hypothetical. This isn't forward looking. For many hard hit communities, this has already been the reality. And it makes NAFTA and globalization look like child's play. Um, and one of the things is we don't have to have a policy solution to everything. I mean, you know, Trump's was build a wall and get Mexico to pay for it, right? A lot of it is showing up and acknowledging uh, the problem. And the fact is, because ours is based in fact, Act. Um, when we talk about how monopoly has crushed uh, local business, we can get there. I used to joke about it and said the answer to our problems is beer. Um, 
15 years ago, about 96% of all the beer we drank in America came from two beer companies. Uh, now you've seen this explosion of local beer production, and it's completely destroyed big beer. So now they only control 85% of all the beer that we drink in America. But that 11% delta has transformed uh, main streets and small towns across rural Virginia. And so if we were looking at just a 10 or 15% delta for local food production, and the big kahuna is energy. So even if you don't believe in climate change, even if you don't care about clean air and clean water, which of course conservatives do, uh, these are fishing streams, um, even if you didn't care about those things, just the monopoly versus local production alone is a huge aspect of the, our economic vitality going forward. Justin, I think, is a very forward-looking, uh, visionary thinker. His election was amazing. 28 years ago, uh, I was there when the first African-American got elected, Doug Wilder. I wasn't old enough to vote, but I was knocking doors in high school. Uh, I was really excited to get to vote for Justin, but he was also fearless last night in his acceptance speech uh, to say, we are going to dismantle the school-to-prison pipeline piece by piece. So... Um, <laughs> So I think uh, it's really Herring, uh, Fairfax, Northam, amazing ticket. These delegates, it's a whole generation that's come in, and we really believe this could be the wave in 17 uh, that takes us to victory in 2018. So we have to wrap this up. Um, I, I feel like I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you it anyway. Uh, a year from now, we're doing this again. Uh, are you feeling good about the way things are going? A lot better than 24 hours ago. Uh, <laughs> you know, eight years ago, uh, this went in reverse. I was in Congress, the Tea Party uh, came up, um, and we lost terribly in Virginia. And then that began, that was the precursor to the Tea Party victories that flipped the House in 2010. I believe that's starting in reverse. Someone told me the other day that they thought we would see two to three congressional retirements for every House of Delegates seat we picked up yesterday. We picked up at least 14, uh, maybe more. So hopefully we're going to see some retirements even before we get to 2018. We see amazing candidates running in every district. Um, and I really do think this is going to be, again, not just an election cycle, but an inflection point of who we are uh, as Americans. Um, and as the old saying goes, America never was America to me, but yet I swear it yet will be. Um, I think this is that arc this year if we all step up and do our part. Thank you, Tom. And that's the show for today. Again, for the full version, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Real Trumpcast, and we'll give you a heads up when it's posted. That's at Real Trumpcast. And one bit of personal news. Aside from Trumpcast, I've also been producing a show at Panoply called Family Ghosts. On each episode of Family Ghosts, you'll hear the true stories of the spirits that haunt our family histories. The missing grandfather, the father who led a double life, and the grandmother who turned out to be a jewel smuggler. That's our pilot episode, The Family Jewels, and it's available right now wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes start next Wednesday, November 15th, but listen to the trailer of our first season at the end of these credits. That's Family Ghosts, new episodes next Wednesday. Today's show is produced with the help of Kirsten Holtz, Faye Smith, and Evan Viola. And for Jamel Bowie, I'm Jason DeLeon. Thanks, as always, for listening to Trumpcast. <laughs>